Lord God, you always be holy forever, God. We sing holy, holy to you. Thank you for being our Lord God. Jesus, as we move into this time to get into your word, I pray for your blessings. Before we partake in communion today, Lord, we want to get into your word. We want to hear from you. And please, God, reveal and restore your honor and glory among your people today, God. Lord, as the rain been raining down upon our eye now, God, rain down your spirit into our hearts, Lord. God, especially for those who are experiencing a spiritual drought and dryness, Lord. God, we all need you right now. We are thirsting for you, Jesus. So I ask, God, that you would anoint your word right now by your Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to get right into our message. If you can be seated. If you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 1. We are embarking on a new study uh, through the book of Romans this morning. And I'm excited to get into God's Word. And as I mentioned, um, we're going to end the service with communion. So prepare your hearts for that. Uh, but as we get into this book, I have to say that Romans is an awesome book, and it has influenced many people's lives and changed their lives. One day in 386 AD, a man sat weeping over his sinful condition and his inability to change his life. This professor, a philosopher, was hopelessly unable to free himself from a life of, well, back then we would say partying, getting drunk, you know, substance abuse and lust, everything. Well, he was grieving over that. Right then, as he's at the bottom of his despair, he heard the voices of these children singing. And they were singing, take up and read, take up and read. Well, it happened to be laying right next to him on the bench in this garden. He was in, at his friend's house. was a scroll of the book of Romans. He opened it up, happened to open the scroll up to what uh, we know today is Romans chapter 13, verse 14. And he read this. It said, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And with those words, this man received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Later, this man, he wrote in this book called Confessions. He wrote this and what he experienced. He wrote, no further would I read, nor did I need, for instantly at the end of this sentence, a clear light flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. And so this man, Arielus Augustine, went on to become this great theologian of who we call the, one of the early church fathers. They are the leaders of the church after apostles. And this man, Augustine, his life was directly changed forever by a verse in the book of Romans. Isn't that great? In 1738, John Wesley Unwillingly now, he went to a meeting famously known as Alders, Aldersgate Street in London where a man sat there was reading Martin Luther's preface to Romans. 
Now, Wesley, he writes this in his journal. He described how he felt. He said, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation. And, he writes, an assurance was given me that he had take away, taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me. So the truths that were, are found in the book of Romans changed John Wesley's life. And, of course, if you know his name, he went on to be a theologian, an evangelist, and he founded the Methodist movement. One of the most influential scientists in history was a man named Michael Faraday. It is well known that he was a devout Christian, not only this great scientist, and he was hugely impacted by the book of Romans. Often he would quote Romans chapter 1, verse 20. In his lectures now, he would quote, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen. So even Faraday, this great scientist that the world knows, have brought in so much discoveries into the world we live in today. He was influenced and his life was changed greatly by the book of Romans. Well, you guys, today we embark on this journey in a study of this whole book. We're going to be studying verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all 16 chapters really of this book. It's actually a letter. So the old King James says an epistle to the Romans. Well, um, in the ESV, it says the letter, right, uh, to the Romans. And it's actually a letter, a very long letter, <laughs> that, that Paul wrote. But we're going to embark on a study of this book of Romans. And, and may it change us too. May it change our lives. May it change our walks with the Lord as we get into this study. So I've titled the message this morning, The Letter That Changes Lives. The letter that changes lives. We're going to be uh, starting this book, Romans chapter 1, studying verses 1 through 7 this morning. Taking those first seven verses here. Uh, in chapter 1, I'm kind of looking at doing four messages in it. We're going to go little by little, kind of get deep into it. But this morning, Romans 1, 1 through 7, the letter that changes lives. We're going to see four things in our passage. Number one, the man. Number two, the message. Number three, the mission. And number four, the ministry. And I'll be giving that to you guys as we go. So when it goes off the screen there, don't say, oh, no, I didn't write fast enough. No, I'll be giving it to you as we go. So the letter that changes lives, let's jump right in. Romans chapter 1, uh, number one in our outline, the man, the man. Now, we're going to be covering only verse 1 in this section. So take a look with me here. The man, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, it reads, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So we'll stop right there. Now, we begin here with the name of the person who wrote this letter. And it's Paul. Now, in ancient letters back then, that's how they wrote their letters. I mean, I'm old enough to where um, I used to write letters. You know, you first write who you were writing to, dear so-and-so, and at the end, you write your name. 
Well, like today, text messages and all and emails, we know who is sending us that text message because we see their name, right? Well, that's the ancient letter. We've gone back to the ancient times. So Paul is the sender. He's the writer of this letter. We know that it was written around 58 A.D., yeah, probably about 28, almost 30 years uh, since Christ had died and risen from the dead. He wrote this letter from the city of Corinth on his third missionary journey. Now, if you're with us in the book of Acts, we just finished up Paul, his second missionary journey, and he's going on that third missionary journey. But here Paul writes the book of Romans from Corinth, the city of Corinth, uh, during that third missionary journey. Now, after we get who wrote this letter, Paul, he writes here, he gives us this description of himself. In verse 1, that's what we're going to receive. Paul is sort of introducing himself. He's never been to Rome. We don't know who started the church there. We don't know who evangelized there. Speculation is that, well, after Pentecost and Acts 2, that many who were from there went back and shared about Jesus. So there were believers there in Rome. So Paul is introducing himself. And the first thing he says here, he says, okay, I'm Paul, I'm, that's the name of the person who writ, is writing the letter. He says, a servant of Jesus Christ. So he introduces himself, first of all, as a servant. Now, the Greek word there is doulos, and it really means slave. It really means in the old King James word is bond servant, bond slave. So Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm a bond servant of my master, Jesus Christ. The Lord, my, the, the Lord is my master. And that's what he's really putting forth here. Now, a servant or just a regular slave is different from a bond servant. And during that time, during the time of Rome, do you know there's about maybe a million slaves in that empire? And in Rome alone, there, there were so many. Matter of fact, they talk about in history that there was more slaves than there were people who weren't slaves during that time. But Paul isn't talking about a servant or slave in an aspect of they were forced to be slaves. Many of the slaves were, were people from conquered countries that Rome had conquered, right? No, he's talking about when he says, I'm a doulos, he's talking about I'm a willing Slave, I willingly have submitted myself to my master. That's what he's, he's saying. He's saying a bond slave that I am is that I chose to be a servant out of love. So here's Paul. He states first and foremost, Paul is saying, I'm totally submitted to my master Jesus. Matter of fact, I willingly, by my choice, I dedicated my life to, you know what? do his will, to serve God. Notice something here. I mean, we read the whole verse. Notice in verse 1, he did not put the next thing he describes himself, which we'll get to, called to be an apostle. He didn't say, Paul, the apostle, right? No, he didn't do that. He, 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 he's not presenting himself as some high makamaka kind of person and look, you guys. He did it in some other letters because he had to deal with some things. But here he comes in and he said, you know what, first and foremost, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a servant. And I'm sure he's thinking about the Old Testament idea. This doulos in the New Testament is this Old Testament idea where 
if a Hebrew slave, if they wanted to stay with their master, if they loved and respected them, that they would, uh, that servant would stand against the doorpost and the master would come with an awl and then pierce their ear into the door with that awl as a symbol of the servant becoming a servant to their master that they loved and respected for life. So this is Paul here. He, first and foremost, he's like, look, I, I picture myself in this way with the Lord. I willingly submit myself. I love my master, so I want to serve him. And this is forever. This is for life. So here's the first thing I want you to get here. The man who wrote this letter is first and foremost a submitted servant of God. Understand this. This is how Paul comes out right, shooting out of the gate here now in this incredible letter. He's not saying, look, me, Paul, wrote this. And, and Romans is very respected, you know, among all the Christians and scholars and pastors. But he comes in here and says, no, first and foremost, I'm just this man who's a submitted servant of God. Isn't that great to see Paul's heart here? Years ago, I don't know if you guys remember, but you remember Bob Dylan put out a gospel record. And there was a song titled, You Gotta Serve Somebody, right? You gotta serve somebody. I can't do it. But, right? Right? I, I used to do it really good, but I, I can't now. But, but the chorus, right? You gotta serve somebody. You gotta serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's true, right? We're all a servant, a slave to something, whether it's our flesh, whether before Christ you're in bondage, that word, you know, chained to our old flesh, but Christ has set us free. Or whether we're, we have set up idols that we serve, you know, in this world, whether it be power, money, uh, uh, position, anything like that, right? We end up serving something, even as Christians who've been freed from serving our flesh, we end up giving ourselves to serve something, whether our hobbies or, or our work or careers, whatever that is, maybe our ideals or maybe a relationship we become a servant to. But you know what? God is calling us to serve Christ alone. And this is Paul. Paul presents himself in that way. I don't know where Bob Dylan is at, but I know where Paul is at. He said, I'm a doulos. I'm a bondservant to Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's my master. And I hope we can all be that today. Well, he goes on next, doesn't he? After a servant of Christ, he says, called to be an apostle. Now, the word apostle means sent one. It means commissioned one. Uh, uh, in a general sense, we're all kind of like apostles sent out to share Jesus Christ in a way. And we were studying the book of Acts. If you remember, Barnabas was actually called an apostle. But here Paul's really referring to the official office of an apostle. And that's Paul. First he's a servant, but now he comes and but you know what? God had called me to be an official apostle. One of well, now, one of the, well, joining, I should say, the 12. Remember, Matthias was added because Judas isn't, you know, part of the disciples now. But there's 12 disciples. Um, Matthias was added. They became 12 apostles. Paul, you can say, was the 13th one. 
Uh, a lot of people feel that way. Some people don't feel like Matthias is, is really supposed to be. Maybe it was Paul. But I'll just say, you know what, for, for believing the best in people, right, in what we just learned in, in Corinthians, Paul's the 13th one. But Paul's saying, look, I'm an official apostle. Now, official apostles were, 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 had a certain qualifications. And first of all, they had to be an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And certainly in Acts chapter 9, we see Paul's uh, testimony there. We see how he came to the Lord. And Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus. And he, Jesus appeared to him. He saw Jesus resurrected. And so that's number one. That's important qualification to be an apostle. Number two, apostle had to be directly called by Jesus himself. And we know the disciples were called by Jesus himself, and so was Paul. That same incident, when he came to the Lord in Acts 9, God called him to be an apostle. And Paul actually makes a comment in Galatians 1. He says that Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men. In other words, it wasn't something anybody told him, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That Paul was directly called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. And then one other thing we find with apostles is that they were the messengers of God's word. And, and, and that's part of it, too. Though in the New Testament we have other writers, uh, many of them were the apostles that God used to speak God's truth that we have in the New Testament. And think about Paul now. I mean, there's 27 books in the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 of them. Isn't that crazy? So he is, yes, and this official apostle. So Paul, when Paul says, look, uh, I was called by God, really, to be an apostle. Yeah, Paul, you're an apostle. So here's Paul, the servant of God, writes as an official apostle of God this letter from God. And when I thought about that, I stopped to think, well, this book, or let's say this letter, is from God. And this letter from God, shouldn't we want to read it? I mean, if you got a letter from God addressed to you, right? Yeah. You got a text message and it says God. And wouldn't you open that up right away? Wouldn't you wonder, what are you saying to me? Right? Well, this is the same thing, you guys. So I pray that you would make a commitment to, to go on this journey with me to study this book all the way through, you guys. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a while, especially you know me. <laughs> I go little by little. But do this. This is a letter from God to us. The Apostle Paul wrote this. I like something Martin Luther, he said, it can never be, talking about, speaking about the book of Romans, it can never be too much or too well read or studied. And the more it is handled, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. I love that. I love that. The better it tastes. All right, so here's Paul. He's the doulos of God. He's an official apostle. So this apostle now, he writes next in verse 1, is set apart for the gospel of God. So God has set him apart to share, to give the gospel of God, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the word set apart means that. It means to separate out. It means in original language to sever. And so here's Paul. He's set apart 
apart from everything else to share the gospel, share Jesus. He is severed from his past life. And now he's set apart to do what God has called him to do. So Paul is separated out by the Lord now for his assigned task. Now, understand, before Jesus came into his life, before he was saved, right, Paul was a Pharisee. Did you know that? He was a high-level Pharisee, you guys. He was, he was up there. He was well-known because he, had been, he, had, he was a prodigy, a student of Gamaliel, one of the top rabbis there during that time. He was schooled he, under him. He had this high education, and he came out like, oh, this guy, he's, he's, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul even talks about that in, uh, I think, Philippians. And, and how he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was high rank. He was high up there. Everybody knew him. And you know the word Pharisee actually means separated one. Because they would separate themselves to study the law of God. And so these Pharisees, these real high makamaka, real guys, uh, Jewish religious leaders there, they, they were really uh, into that. And that's what their focus was. Well, I I was thinking maybe Paul's kind of thinking about that and bringing it into his Christian walk now. He's saying, you know, I was a Pharisee, the separated one, but now I'm set apart, separated to do God's work, to, to, to fulfill his purpose in my life. Paul, you know what, cut the cord, I would say, from his old life, that separation. He severed that, his past life. And he went on to this greater purpose that God had for him. So here's the second thing I want you to see. The man who wrote this letter is God's apostle set apart to do God's work. This is Paul. This is what he's introducing himself as. The man who wrote this letter is God's apostle set apart to do God's work. The other day, I was working on a, a, a project, and I was, I was looking for a certain screw. Now, uh, my family knows um, I'm not a hoarder, okay? But, but I have this big box of screws that, you know, from different things or projects or through the years, I just threw them in there because, hey, you might need it one day, right? <laughs> and, and it's been, right? Yeah, hey, it's okay. It's all right. All right. I am a hoarder in that aspect, but it's okay. I own it. No, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, I thought rather than go store buy, and sometimes they do, but you have leftover screws, you just throw them in this box because, hey, why pay money when you get them right there, right? So I was going through and for this project looking for these screws, and, and it's, a, it's a box. It's a lot of screws, and I, I got to take like a screwdriver and go... <laughs> and keep looking and, you know, digging down and everything. But, but I found one screw and put it to the side. And I am digging down and I found another screw and I put it to the side. And I needed four of them and I found them. And so, praise the Lord. Thank you, God. I don't have to go to the store. I found what I needed like that. But notice what I was doing. I was taking the one screw that I needed for a certain task and I set it apart from all the other ones in the box. Well, I think God does that in our life. We're all mixed up in this whole big box of the world, you guys. We're, we're, we're all in there, but then God comes and saves us, and he picks us out for a certain purpose, that a certain plan 
a certain will he has for you and I in our life here as believers, as witnesses for Jesus Christ. And he takes us out and he sets us apart from all the whole mix of the world. That's what God does in our life. So understand that God does have a particular, specific purpose for you, you guys. We all live in different worlds in the sense of our, our circle of friends, our family. Maybe your ministry is to your family. Maybe your, your ministry is the people at work or your neighborhood. What, whatever that is, whatever your little world that we, we operate in, God has purposely put you there to use you, to set you apart for this purpose, for this work. That's what Paul is saying. You know, God, for me, called me as an apostle. And he set me apart for the gospel. That's an, an apostle does that. Back then, right, no one, only the disciples and some people knew about Jesus Christ and everything, but not the whole world. So God raised up the apostles with the truth of the word, where they were giving the word, what we have in the New Testament, to go out and share Jesus and the truth of God. Well, in a way, that's us too. And God has set us apart. So stay set apart. Don't jump back in that screw box, right? Yeah. Don't jump back there. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah, I know. I had a loose screw. That's what I was really looking for, right? No. <laughs> but, but, you, but, but you understand, right? We don't want to go back. We have severed from that life. And now our purpose is as a servant of God to fulfill what the Master is calling us to do. So here's Paul. He's starting out saying, hey, look, this letter, what I'm going to put in this letter, it changes life because it changed me. All right, so we see the man, the man. Let's go to number two now, the message. Number two, the message. Now, we're going to be covering verse two through four here, and let's take a look at those verses here, two through four. He goes on and says, Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll stop there. Verses 3 through 4. Now, Paul here, he's describing this gospel of God. God is made me apostle, I'm a servant of the Lord, as an apostle, uh, set, set me apart for the gospel of God, which is what? Well, it's according to which he promised before. And so he gets into the gospel here, basically. And, and just so you know, verses 1 through 7 is actually one sentence in the Greek. <laughs> and Paul does that a lot. I mean, I, I, I feel like, well, good, if Paul do it, I can have run-on sentences too, all right? <laughs> I didn't do good in English, so I'm okay. Yeah, I'm with Paul here, right? But in, in, even in this section, we, we kind of see this, this kind of brief sort of pre-look, you know, look, preview of what the whole book of Romans is going to be about here. So basically, he comes into here, and, and, and he's speaking about Jesus Christ, the gospel, what he did. And he begins, so, so the gospel of God, that, that's who I'm set apart for, which, that gospel, he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. So the Holy Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And the prophets are those writers of the Old Testament. And the 
prophets who predicted Christ's coming, the Messiah's coming, which Christ had to fulfill. But what I like is when he, he writes, which he promised beforehand. And what he's saying here is what we understand if we've been studying our Bible for a while, that this plan of salvation through Jesus Christ wasn't like some new idea, you know. It wasn't like God said, oh, no, these guys are in trouble. We, 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 need, to, we need to somehow save them, right? They're lost in their sin. No, God had this in the works for a long time. That God, it wasn't some emergency plan here. No, but from beforehand, he promised to bring the salvation through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, so that we can be saved, that we can have eternal life, that we can be freed from our sin, that we can be forgiven. God had prepared that beforehand. 1 Peter 1.20 talks about that. And so from eternity past, even before time began, God, because he's God, he already had it in the works. He already knew what was going to happen. He already knew what we needed. And so what he promised beforehand, God had already designed and planned. So the gospel of Jesus, this gospel of God that he mentioned in verse 1, is not a new plan, but been in the works for ages and it's finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That, that's what he's really putting forth here. That's the idea. Did you know that Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies? Every single one of them. Did you know that there's even over a thousand of his second coming? But his first coming, he fulfilled all of them of his first coming, coming in what we know when he came to this earth, died on the cross and rose again. Did you know that someone had calculated to fulfill only eight of the 300 plus, 322 or something like that, prophecies, to fulfill only eight of them? The chances of one man doing that is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 in 17 zeros. That's like 10, I don't know, billion, trillion, you know. I, I, I was trying to figure it out this morning. I thought, I can't figure it out. But can you imagine, right? I mean, I, I was reading like someone won, uh, the lottery was won in, you know, 300-something billion, yeah. But here we see Jesus fulfilled each one of the Old Testament prophecies of his first coming. He fulfilled that. Every one of them. And the possibility of one man doing over 300, Jesus is God. And you know what? That tells me that God, what? Keeps his promises, you guys. When Paul writes that, which he promised beforehand, what was prophesied, predicted beforehand, what would happen, it has happened, guys. And for me, I'm like, thank you, God. Because now I know the promises, any promise in the word of God, any promise you give me, you're, you're going to keep your word. And we have that assurance because we see it right here. So Paul, he goes on in verse 3 and 4, kind of laying out now the gospel. He says, okay, this, this promise, the Messiah, the predicted one that was to come, uh, Jesus now, he says, concerning his son, this promise was concerning his son, God the son, Jesus. So that's what he's saying. The Father sent His Son. God so loved the world that He sent 
his only son, right? This is Jesus, who is in heaven, was sent to the earth. How? Well, he writes here, who was descended from David? We know the prophecy that the Messiah would come through the line of David, and we know in our studies that Mary, who birthed Jesus, she was part of the, the lineage of King David. And so this tells us, here's Jesus, the Son, God, came to this earth, born a man, right, descended now through the line of David. So God came to this earth as a human being. That's the gospel, you guys. God came from heaven to earth. This is Christmas, right? Jesus was born in a manger. This is the message that he came to. God himself came, became a man, became flesh, John chapter 1. And so here's Paul saying that he he descended from David according to the flesh as a human being. And then he says in verse 4, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Okay, let's take that apart. What he's saying here is that he was declared to be the Son of God, that he was recognized when he was on this earth to be God the Son, that Jesus had come. And when did that happen? Well, I believe this is referring, referring to Matthew chapter 3. You remember at Jesus' baptism, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, what happened? The, there was a voice from heaven, right? It was the heavenly Father. And he declared, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So he was declaring, no, this is, Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who came to this earth. And so it was declared in that way. And then it says here, according to the spirit of holiness. That's really another way to say the Holy Spirit. And we know at the baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him, what? In the form of a dove, right? And so at that moment, the Spirit came to empower him, to give him the ability to do the ministry and the work that he did on the earth. Now, that's a whole nother study. But Jesus, as he God, fully God, fully man, came to this earth. He intentionally, willingly lay aside his powers to submit to the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do everything he did through the Spirit as, you know what, an example for us that we could follow in his steps. And though I think there are moments where that God part, you know, came out, right, transfiguration, maybe some of the miracles, I don't know where the line was, but... But, but that's an interest, another study to think about. So the Holy Spirit came upon him to empower him for ministry. And the voice of the Father came out saying, No, this is God the Son, and he's the one I sent. And so that's what Paul is saying. Saying, look, this was all confirmed. It was all, all, all came out according to all that happened in Matthew chapter 3 there. And then he says, By his resurrection from the dead. And even that even proved who Jesus is, the Messiah. God came from heaven, became a man. His purpose to die on the cross, right? If he was resurrected, he had died, right? And so he resurrected from the dead. He died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross to atone for our sins so that we can be forgiven. So our sins can be atoned for so that we can have a relationship with God. We can have new life, eternal life. There's a gospel right there. Do you see how Paul just, just in few verses here, he put 
everything out in what the gospel of God, Jesus Christ, is. This plan of God. See, this is what changes our lives, you guys. The resurrection of Christ proves it even. A dead Savior means nothing, but Jesus is alive, right? Because he's alive, he's conquered sin. He's conquered death. And so the gospel has the power to change lives. Know that today. The gospel has the power to change lives. That's why Romans changed so many people's lives. Because it's about this plan of God. It's about what God has done. And let me just tell you right now that, that when we talk about salvation in Jesus Christ, it's not just Oh, he, he, he saved me from my past sins, right? Or he rescued me. You know, it's not just that. When God comes into our life, part of the salvation package is we get the Holy Spirit living in us. We get a, a, a new life. We become a new creation. God begins to work in our life like never before. We're intimately involved He's intimately involved in our lives. He's working. He's moving. And then the Spirit is changing us. He regenerates us, the Spirit, into a new life. But then He's, he's, he's working His fruit, right? And he's, he's, he's forming and molding us and growing us spiritually. And then that's not, that's not it all either. Once we pass from here, from this life, we get to go to heaven. And in heaven, we get a glorified body. And in heaven, we get to be with Jesus. And throughout this whole journey, we have this close relationship with God that we could never have without Jesus. You see, that's salvation. That's the whole package. And this is what Paul is going to get into in the book of Romans, you guys. This whole package. Not just, well, Christ came to this earth, died on the cross, rose again. You know, now we can be saved. No, there's much more in here that we're going to find and discover about ourselves, about who we are, who Christ is, what God did, and, and where we're headed, and, and how we can live with Him now, and what He works in our lives. I'm excited about this. I hope you are. See, this is Jesus who changes lives. This is a good time for uh, to, to bring to you the main theme. You know, every book we study, I give you the theme. The main theme of the book. I mean, there's a lot of things we cover, all those things I, I mentioned. But the main theme for Romans is this. The saving power of God is in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's, if, if there's one thing we're going to find is the saving power of God is in Jesus Christ. That power to save you. That, that power to change you. That power to keep you. That power to get you all the way to heaven. That power for you to become a changed, transformed being that you can serve God for the rest of your life. The saving power of God is in Jesus Christ. And it comes from, if you look over at verse 16 and 17... Uh, this is the theme verses. Uh, Romans 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be focusing on these verses. But that's our theme. So, the message Paul brings here in Romans 
is about the saving power of God in Jesus Christ. And that's really this point. Paul comes in and says, look, I'm an apostle, I'm set apart to share the gospel of Christ, and you know what that is? This is what it is. And he gives us a little, little preview of what he's going to expand, really expand, go deep into, and that's that saving power of Christ. That's the message Paul has to give in the book of, of Romans. I, was, I noticed the other day this top-selling book on Amazon, a self-help book. The top-selling self-help book on Amazon is this. It's entitled, Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. It's by somebody named James Clear. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, and, and, and some of us, and we've talked about before, we can create new habits and things like that. But, you know, we don't really need that book. You know why? Because we got this book. And we're studying the book of Romans, you guys. And, and bad habits, our sinful habits, they're only broken through Jesus Christ. That's the only way, you guys. And, and I want you to know that's where our life can change. So as we dive into this book, set that in your mind. The power isn't some self-help book. The power to change our life isn't by, by, you know, trying your hardest to do this or getting someone to be on you all the time. And, and it's good. Accountability is good. We make choices and decisions and we discipline ourselves. But, but the foundation, bottom line, is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can free us. He's the, he has set us free when he died and rose again from the dead. All right, the letter that changes lives, this book of Romans, we've seen the man, the message. Now we go to the mission, the mission. Verse 5 here. Verse 5 goes on. Paul writes, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. So Paul goes on to say that through whom, through, through Jesus, we've received grace and apostleship. He's saying that it was God who commissioned us, and it was through his grace. As he says we, uh, I was reading one commentary. They are saying, like, when he says we in the Greek, it's kind of like he's putting himself in there, and he's, he's with them, but he's kind of talking about himself, too. It's, it's kind of like a both thing. But I, and so I'm going to bring up Paul. Paul's saying, look, it was through God's grace that I became apostleship, that, that I'm able to do this. It's God's grace, he's saying. We know grace is undeserved favor, right? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But grace is getting something you, you, you didn't deserve. Did I say that right? Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But grace is getting something that you never deserved at all. And that's Paul. Paul's saying, by grace, I'm here. I'm saved. And this apostleship, that has been given to me. And then he says here after that, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. For God's glory, uh, uh, to reach people in all the nations, yeah, to the world, to go out. He has been called to bring about the obedience of faith. And what is that? Well, that's to obey God's call when he calls you to salvation. That's what he's saying. 
when he says, look, come and be saved through Jesus Christ. Come and, 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 and have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, we, we are later going to get into the whole chosen predestination, all that talk. And there's that calling aspect of that too. But right now, I just want you to see that God has called Paul to call people to obedient, to respond in obedience, to put their faith in Christ Jesus and be saved. That, that's the idea here. And so grace has given Paul this mission now to put the gospel, to call people to Christ, that they will come and respond to Jesus and be saved. Now, let's understand something about this. I'm going to go back to this idea of grace and how God is using him now and calling people to this obedience of faith. Now understand, Paul originally, when we find him in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, his name was Saul. That's his Hebrew name. That's his Hebrew name. His name was Saul. And as we know about Saul, he was, he, was, he was a persecutor of Christians, right? He viciously went after Christians. He tortured them, took part in their death. And some people even believe that he killed Christians. And so Paul was this Pharisee, zealous for Judaism and God. Didn't like that these Christians were, were blaspheming God by saying Jesus is the Messiah. No, he's not. He went, he went crazy over that. And he actually went after Christians. And on that road to Damascus, he was going to Damascus to grab some more Christians and get them. And that's when God stopped him. So Paul, though, he got saved on that road. God called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he switched his name from Saul to Paul, which is his uh, Roman name. He's a Roman citizen, he, uh, under his father and everything. So he had his Hebrew name, which was common back then. There was a Hebrew and, and Greek name, a Roman name. And, and so Paul is Paul now, not Saul. And I think it was to sever and break from his dark past. It's to, it's to separate himself, be set apart from that. This dark past of Paul, it, he, he knew it was there. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he would say that I am the chief of sinners because he knew what he did. And even in uh, Corinthians, uh, first, or let's see, first, where's that? 1 Corinthians 15, uh, you, don't, you don't have to turn there, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.9, he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul knew his past. Paul knew how bad it was. But you know what he says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15? He says, right after, I'm not worthy to be apostle, I'm the least apostle. You know what he says in verse 10? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul understood God's grace. He didn't deserve this. It was just God's grace on him. I mean, he could have just been a Christian, right? Just another believer. But God called them up to be this apostle, to set him apart, to serve the Lord in that way. I, th I think that's amazing. So here's Paul. He's presenting, right, this mission 
to go and share the gospel. This mission that was given to Paul to do was all by the grace of God. All by the grace of God. That's so powerful to me. It's so powerful. I mean, I, I don't feel worthy to be up here. I'm, I'm not perfect. I know some of you think that, but thank you very much for that. But, but you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm a human being just like you guys. Yeah. You know, uh, the other day, I, I was trying to remember, but um, I don't know if I, uh, I was talking to someone or someone was telling me that um, they, they had uh, applied for, for a job. I think it was with FEMA. You know, and they're on the island after the fires and everything. And, and they got the job. But they had to kind of go through this application process, one of which was huge, is a background check through the FBI. Yeah, because it's a government job, right? So kind of high level in that way, and they had to do a whole background check. And, and, and like it, but they passed. I got the job. But, you know, that made me think that sometimes I think you and I with God, we, we think, well, God's going to do this background check on us. And then, you know what? We're going to be disqualified because of our past. We think that of ourselves. And then we start condemning ourselves. Then we feel real insecure about ourselves and does God really love me? And then we, then we translate all the bad things that happen to like, see, see, I don't even qualify to be a believer, a regular Christian. But you're wrong. You're wrong. No, God has grace. If he didn't have grace, I would say, yeah. And if he didn't have grace, I wouldn't be here, you guys. I would not be here. But God gives grace. Paul is saying, oh, grace and apostleship, we're on this mission to bring the world into obedience of faith. Oh, you guys, it's through this. It's through God's grace. The thing is, no human being is qualified to serve God. But you know what? God qualifies us through forgiveness and grace. That's what the Lord does. If Paul were standing right here, you know what? He would be saying, look at me, you guys. Look at me. I'm the chiefest sinner. Look at me. I'm the least of apostles because I persecuted church. I went after and tortured God's sheep mercilessly. Yet God, I think he would be in tears. Who am I to stand up here? Oh, I'm just this doulo servant of the Lord who put me here. And I don't know why, but I know it's his grace. Just look at me. Forgiveness and grace has severed my past. I'm no longer defined by that past anymore. None of us is perfect. So why do we think that we have to be for God to use us? We've got to erase that, you guys. The great Scottish preacher Alexander White one stood up in the pulpit in Edinburgh, and he said, I have discovered the most wicked man in Edinburgh. Then he paused. And the whole congregation was on the edge of their seats. Like, okay, who is it? Who is it? And the pastor stood there and said, his name is Alexander White. He said his own name. That's the truth, 
We are all sinners before the Lord. But God has forgiven us and given us grace. Well, the letter that changes lives, we see the man, the message, the mission. And finally, the ministry, our last two verses, verse 6 and 7. It says, including you, verse 6, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) So Paul says here in verse 6, including you guys, including you guys who I'm writing to, he says, uh, including you guys, you, you, we're, our ministry has been to you. Our mission is to go out and share Jesus Christ to the world, but this includes you guys. You're our ministry here. This is the ministry, you guys, including you guys who are called once again to belong to Jesus Christ. God has called you, you responded in faith, and now <clears throat> you belong to Jesus Christ. Then when he comes to verse 7, this is where we come to these ancient letters where we see who the recipient is. Now, verse 1 told us who the sender is, who wrote it. It was Paul. And now, verse 7, Paul finally comes to two, who, who, who it is written to. And he says here, you guys, including you guys who've, who've been saved in Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So to all those in Rome, he's, he's talking to believers, both Jews and Gentiles in Rome, thus the title of this letter has been made Romans. He's writing to the Roman believers here. So to all in Rome, and I like this, who are loved by God. And the old uh, King James word is beloved, that you're loved by God. That's really what it means, that that God uh, 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 looks at you dearly. That's another way to put it. So all of you guys, all you believers are looked upon God dearly, special. He loves you in that way. And then he says, called to be saints. Now, I think saints is maybe an old word to us. Right away, we think of it in a Catholic way. You know, like, oh, Father Damien is a saint now. And then we think, I'm no saint. And I say, yeah, you're not. No, just joking. But, but, but what the, why is he calling all believers saints? Well, the word saint really means holy If you really get into it, it means set apart. And so understand when Paul uses this saying, he's talking about how in Christ Jesus we have been made holy, right? Through his atonement, through his resurrection, now the righteousness of Christ is upon us. We're clothed in that righteousness. When God looks upon us, he looks at us as righteous. And we're going to get into that in this book and really understand that even more. And so in a way, we are saints, but as we, as children of God, belong to God, we, we're, we're saints. We really are. We're set apart for Him. We're, we're, we're being uh, made uh, into a life that lives a godly life. That's the idea with saints. In the Old Testament, uh, the temple was holy, right? It was set apart for God. It was separated for God. The priests were consecrated, right? They were separated from the people to serve the Lord. The nation of Israel was a holy nation, we read in the Old Testament. Why? Because they belong to the Lord. And that's the idea for us as Christians. Every one of us is set apart and concentrated to God. Every one of us belongs 
to the Lord. So you know what? You're a saint. I'm a saint. Everybody is a saint. So J. Vernon Gee used to say, um, how do you say it? Um, I forgot. I won't say it. But anyway, um, the thing is, is, is if you are a child of God and you belong to God, then you're a saint. You are. And know that. And God loves you. Well, our last thing here, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, uh, in ancient letters, there, there's normally a greeting, a, a well-wish, like a blessing. You know, like sometimes we end our letters as, you know, God bless you, see you. Well, here it's at the beginning, and usually there's some sort of greeting. And Paul's normal way of greeting is to say, grace to you and peace from our God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, from God and from Jesus. Now, grace is the Greek word cherish, and uh, peace is really the Greek word um, er, er, oh, I have it here, er, 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 there he is, got it, arena. that's it, which really he's saying peace in the sense of greetings like um, the, the Greek Gentile greeting is grace, they would say cherish to one another, but the Hebrew way of greeting is shalom, peace, right? So in a way, what he's doing is, since he's writing to both the Greeks and Jews, the Gentiles and the Jews, he's giving both greetings, grace and peace to you. So this, the letters greeting really give this blessing, and I would have to say this is a great prayer, a great blessing that I need. I need the grace and peace, don't we? We need grace and peace in our lives. And when he says this, in the Greek tense and everything that, that's here, it's not like a one-time thing. Not, that's not the way he's saying. Or it's not like, well, once you have it, you know, good enough kind of thing. It's actually, it's, it's, it's this ongoing. May God continue to give you grace and peace. John Piper explains it this way. The word to you implies movement. Grace and peace are on the way. More is coming. I like that. I like it. Yeah, Lord, give me more, give me more, give me more. I need that. So the ministry of this letter is to all believers, this is our last point, who will find the grace and peace of God right in here in this book. The ministry of this letter is to all believers who will find the grace and peace of God in here. Oh, I, you know, with all this rain lately, oh, it's so chilly, huh? Oh, but I'm like wearing you know, pants all the time and shoes today. It's just, anyway, I'm so glad by God's grace, by his gracious provision, last year, I think almost a year, April or so, we got a new roof on our main house and, and the, our, the Ohana. And I was just, every time it rains, it's been storming since then too. And, you know, even this time, these weeks we've been, every time I'm like, oh, Thank you. Because before, I would see tiles come off the roof, and we had some, you know, leaks on the side. It was like, oh, but now, oh, we're good. We're dry, everything. And I'll tell you, by God's gracious provision, now I have peace. <laughs> yeah, I have peace when, when it rains and storms and the wind is blowing and, 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 and everything. Well, let me say this. By God's grace, we're studying this. And God wants to build this roof of understanding and truth you know what to protect you from the storms 
of this world that come upon you, from the devil who attacks you, from, from, from even our own thoughts and sin that can creep in. But God wants to, a, to build this new roof. Yeah. Or I could change the, the, the analogy to a foundation. That no matter what happens in your life, what we learn in here, you will not be shaken. You will not be shaken. And you will keep to the Lord. And you will fulfill His purpose. And you will not slide. You will not go backwards. You will keep going forward when we learn these truths in here. So you guys, as we end right now, as we end this morning, the message at least, before we go into our communion, understand, I'm excited. What we're learning already is changing us, and it should change us. And what we're going to learn is going to change our lives. I want to close with this old poem by some unnamed person, and uh, I think it really talks about what God has done, and it talks, even prepares us for communion. It goes like this. O long and dark the stairs I trod, with trembling feet to find my God, gaining a foothold bit by bit, then slipping back and losing it. Never progressing, striving still, with weakening grasp and faltering will, bleeding to climb to God while he serenely smiled, unnoting me. Then came a certain time when I loosened my hold and fell thereby, down to the lowest step my fall, as if I had not climbed at all. Now when I lay despairing there, listen, a footfall on the stair, on that same stair where I, afraid, faltered and fell and lay dismayed, and lo, when hope had ceased to be, my God came down the stairs to me. That's what Jesus has done. That's what Romans talks about, you guys. And this is why. This is the letter that changes lives. Let's pray. God, how exciting it is to embark on this journey through this study in this book of Romans. Thank you for the Apostle Paul who penned this, Lord, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God. And now we have it today in our Bibles, the Word of God. Thank you that we can read it to go back, to go back and, and, and taste it, as Martin Luther said, to learn, to grow, to put into our hearts, our souls, Lord, the, the truth, God, of salvation, of who we are, who you are, what you've done, God, where we're going. Lord, thank you so much. So build that foundation in us as we begin. And Jesus, we are so grateful that you came down those stairs. You came down to rescue us. You didn't uh, wait for us to come up, but you came down to rescue us. And so, Lord, our hearts are humbled before you. And we bow down, Lord, as we move into this time of communion. We remember all that you've done in dying on the cross and rising again. All that you suffered in sacrifice, Lord, your blood that bled to atone for my sin, our sins, God. We are forever grateful. And in all of this, we see your grace toward us. 
And let us remember that. To not condemn ourselves. Not allow the devil to condemn and defeat us. But to find hope. To find truth. To find a future. To find a way to move forward. So Lord, thank you for grace that does all that. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, the guys will be passing out the elements. We're going to partake of the bread first. So they're going to pass out the bread. We're going to partake of that together. So once you get your your bread, hold on to it, and then I'll prompt you in partaking. Then they're going to pass out the cup with the the juice. And after that, uh, hold on to that, and we're going to partake together. We'll sing one more song. So we're going to go over a little bit, but... Even with that, I want you guys in your heart to honor God here. You know, we, we do this every month, the first Sunday every month, but, you know, I don't want it to be some ritual we just kind of go through, eat, drink, see you later. Yeah. No, we've come, like, to a memorial. We have all had someone maybe who passed away, and we have a memorial or celebration of life or that type of thing, right? That's what it's like. We've come to honor Christ for what he's done for us. And at the same time, maybe... Maybe after what you've heard, you, you need to repent. Well, do it now, during this time. Maybe this is a time to give your life to the Lord. This is a great time, as we're singing right now. Maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord. You know what? This is a great time to come to the Lord, confess your sins, and be renewed, be, be cleansed, be refreshed, and be restored. So this is a special moment. It's a holy moment. As we come before our Lord and Savior, who sacrificed his all for us, for you, for me. So let's worship him.